Um, we're going to just think for a little while this morning about the promised son, and we're going to kind of delve into the Old Testament a wee bit today uh, as well. Um, and the promised son that we're talking about first is Isaac. Uh, we've heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac of Jacob. Well, Isaac is the, the promised son, and uh, Jean and I were having a conversation fairly recently about uh, typology in the, the Old Testament and the Bible, and how there are many things which are in the Old Testament that are there in type form. And uh, Isaac is a prototype of, of Christ. And uh, as I was preparing this message today, I, I actually had to cut out so much. Um, there was so much that I wanted to say, and I thought if we did the sermon that I had planned today, we'd be here for about two hours. Um, so I've had to cut it way, way back. Um, but I, hopefully we can kind of get an idea, a picture of, of what we're talking about here. See, we need to recognize that the early church grew not on the New Testament. We use the New Testament without even thinking about it, but the early church didn't have the New Testament. The early church grew on the Old Testament scriptures, as we would call them. And uh, the case for Christ was made to Jews and Gentiles alike. And let me give you an example of this. Uh, in the book of Acts, we read this, Acts chapter 17, verses 2 to 3. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned, he reasoned with them from scriptures. He explained and proved that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he went on to say, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So when Paul was trying to convince the, the Jews of his time that Jesus, this Jesus who had been crucified, was the, the Messiah, he was the Christ, he was going back into the Old Testament Scriptures, as we would call them the Old Testament Scriptures. He was going back in there, and he was using the Old Testament to show the people how Jesus would have to come, he would have to suffer, and how he would rise from the dead again. And so Christ is seen all the way through the Scriptures in type form. I remember having a conversation with a man, I was probably about 20, maybe about 19, 20 at the time, and we were at a Christian event somewhere, I think in Glasgow perhaps, and this man was telling me how he didn't use the Old Testament. He felt the Old Testament was irrelevant. And that really surprised me because I grew up kind of digesting the Old Testament as, as it were, and uh, the Old Testament, if you look at it and study it, is full of pictures of Jesus. Uh, Abraham is known for the spirit of faith, Isaac for the spirit of sonship, Jacob for the spirit of servanthood, all aspects of the Messiah. Jacob's son, Joseph, the one who wore the funny coat with all the colors, who got papped down to Egypt. Do you remember that story? Well, Egypt, uh, uh, Joseph, who was thrown down into Egypt was also a type of Christ. As we begin to study the life of Joseph, we see so many things that pertain to the life of Christ, so many things which are there in prototype. The tabernacle as well, if you've ever studied this, the movable sanctuary, the movable worship place that the Hebrews had when they came out of Egypt, every aspect of that was for a reason and for a purpose. And we see Christ hidden in the details of the tabernacle as well. And uh, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says this, they, talking about the priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy 
and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Because as we look at that, as we study the objects of the tabernacle, we see Christ in that. David himself, the king, was also a prototype. The king of Israel was a prototype of the shepherd king of Israel, the good shepherd and the king of kings. The law, the Psalms, the poems, the prophets, all speak of Jesus. And can you imagine Jesus' Bible study with the two people who were on the road to Emmaus? Can you imagine that? Because this is what it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I wish I'd been able to sit in on that Bible study. I don't know about you, some of you are thinking, I would rather go and have some coffee. No, I'm only kidding. I would have loved to have been in that Bible study group and to hear Jesus take the Scriptures and explain all of these Old Testament Scriptures as they were referenced to Him. And that must have been an incredible experience. I wonder, do you have a desire to search for the Messiah in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament Scriptures? There's a thought. Pick a book, any book, and look for Jesus in it. Start from Genesis. Genesis is a book of beginnings. And we find Jesus in the book of Genesis as well. But I want to think about, I want to think this morning about the promised son. As we read Genesis 12, we're introduced to a man called Abram. And at this point in time, Abram is 75 years old. They say that life begins at 40. So mine has well and truly begun. But for Abraham... His life was just starting at the age of 75. Imagine that. And perhaps some people in here today need to be reminded that your best days aren't necessarily behind you. You may have more days behind you than there are in front, but that doesn't mean to say that the ones that are behind you are your best days because God has a plan and purpose for each of us. And here are some keys as we look at the verses concerning Abram, who would become Abraham. I want us to just kind of walk through one or two of these verses and just to point to this promised son, Isaac, who ultimately points to the promised son, Jesus. And so we read in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to open up your Bible and flick through some of these passages, we're going to start in Genesis 12 and we're going to move through some of these passages. Try as a stick today. Um, so, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God is calling Abram to a journey of faith, and Abram is obedient to the promise of God. And this is what God says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and he says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples. But here's the problem. Abraham, Abram, as he was at the time, didn't have an heir. But God had promised him a son. And I can just imagine Paul making the case for the, to the Jews that salvation is also 
for us, the Gentiles, referring to Genesis 15, verses 4 through 5. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is Abram, this man Eliezer of Damascus, who was the closest in his family, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, or so shall your seed be, so shall your offspring be. Look out, go out and look up at the stars. We can look up at the fancy lights today. Can anybody count how many lights there are there? That's an easier task than counting the stars, isn't it? Imagine God saying to him, go out and count the stars. And if you can number the stars, that's how many will be your descendants, your offspring. Of course, he wasn't just talking about physical offspring. He was talking about those who would come to believe through the gospel. I wonder how Abram viewed the stars after that night. I wonder if every time he went out, he thought, wow, how's that going to happen? I'm 75. Sarah's no far behind me. I wonder how that's going to happen. And yet God makes him a promise he makes him a promise that all nations are going to be blessed through him and through his seed. But the promise was more than just Isaac. It was more than that. It was his descendants, as we'll see. And it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, it was like putting money in his bank account. His account was filled up because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this is surely more evidence for Paul speaking to the Jews of his day that this message wasn't just for Jews, but it was for Gentiles as well. Because when this was credited to Abraham as righteousness, he wasn't a Jew at the time. The covenant of circumcision had not been introduced at that point in time. The law had not been given at that time. There was no Old Testament at that time. There was a man standing out in the desert looking up at the stars who had heard the voice of God for himself, the voice of God promising him a son. And through that air, every nation in the world would be blessed. And this is what it says, moving on. We're moving on in the story. We're skipping big chunks of it here because we're kind of skipping 25 years of his life. <coughs> so let's read some of these passages. We're going to go into Genesis chapter 17, uh, passages that deal with Isaac, the promised son. And it says in 17 uh, verses 3 to 5, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. Do you hear a song coming on? No? Is it just me that hears it? <laughs> God also, uh, skipping on to verses 15 and 16, God also said to Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, 
As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, princess or noblewoman. Where is Sarah? She's disappeared. Princess or noblewoman. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And it says that Abraham fell, Abraham fell face down and laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? We need to remember here that before we get to this point, Abraham had already had another son through Sarah's uh, servant. Her name was Hagar. And uh, Sarah had given Abraham Hagar to be his wife. And uh, they conceived a child. His name was Ishmael. And yet Ishmael was not the son whom the promises of God would come through. He was not the heir. And it makes me think as well about the things that we can try and achieve for God in our own strength, even through our own faith. We can attempt things for God, but if they're not the thing which God promised, then the fruit might not be in those things. We can, have, we can be fruitful in things, but not necessarily the things that God wants us to be fruitful in. Anyway, that's an aside. Genesis chapter 17 verse 19 says, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish, establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. This covenant that we have entered into as well, the new covenant, started off with Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And Sarah laughed when she thought about the possibility of having a child at her age. Abraham laughed. And you can understand why. You see, to have a son at their age was impossible. But from God's viewpoint, the promised son had a specific mother whose name was Sarah and a specific time. And when God wants something to be done, it will be done. And we need to really grasp this. When God wants to do something, God will do it. And if he comes and knocks on our door and says, I want you to do something, and we say no, he might come and ask again, and he might come and ask again, but there'll come a point where God will allow us to say no, and he will go to somebody else's door and chap that door and say, I'm needing a job done. A specific job. But this job was a very specific one. He says in Genesis 17, 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. The covenant, which is God's promise, is established in the line of Isaac. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, and we often go into the book of Matthew, the book of Luke, when we come to this time of year, and we read the Christmas nativity story again, but it starts in Matthew 1 with Abraham and Isaac, the son of promise. And we see in that that Isaac's coming into the world through Abraham and Sarah is the beginning of Jesus' genealogy. They didn't have maybe Ancestry.com back then, but they certainly knew where they came from as a people. And I find it really interesting that today, as a people, we're starting to forget where we have come from. I don't know if you've noticed this. 
all the things that we value in our heritage, our Christian heritage and our culture, we're leaving them behind. We're saying it's old-fashioned. We're not interested in that anymore. This is the 21st century. Get up to date, guys. And what we're doing is that we're leaving our heritage, particularly our Christian heritage, we're leaving it behind. And people are forgetting about our Christian heritage. I was talking to some of the kids in the assemblies over the last week in Croft Malach and in Longridge. And uh, I was saying to them that people are saying that you guys don't know what Christmas is all about. And you could see the faces. And so you kind of ask the question, what's Christmas all about? And the first hand that goes up and says, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus coming into the world. And I'm like, yes. And then there's other answers as well, which are totally valid for the way that we celebrate Christmas. The one thing that I know is that our boys and girls who are over in Rainbow Kids know what Christmas is all about. Our boys and girls who come into Treasure Kids know what Christmas is all about. We've been talking about it for the last three weeks. The young people in Oxygen know what Christmas is all about. The kids in the primary schools here know what Christmas is all about, believe me, because we talk about it every single year. And it is so many things to so many people. And these people, these are a people who knew their heritage, they knew their culture, and they valued their culture, and they still do. Jewish people still value their heritage and their culture. We need to make sure that we value as well. Isaac born in impossible circumstances. And the timing of God in Isaac. He was born at the exact time that God determined. You know, you kind of think when God came to Abram when he was 75, why didn't he just kind of make it happen then? Why did he have to wait 25 years Why did Abraham have to have Ishmael? Who knows? But there was a plan and a timing that God had. And if we read Genesis chapter 21 verses 1 to 5, we see that these miraculous events are outworked in in Sarah's life. Bear in mind that a miracle is by definition a divine intervention. It's something that can't happen unless God steps in. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac uh, uh, sorry Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him and when his son was 8 days old Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. A divine intervention. And it happened just as God said. And can I encourage us to remember, if God has spoken into your life and made you a promise, and you know that it's not God and not just the cheese pizza from the night before, then you can hang on to that word. If God has spoken to you and promised you something, you keep yourself in line with God, you keep yourself in the center of his will, and that promise will be fulfilled. We need to hold on to the things which God has said. We need to hold on to some of the things that God has said over our nation through the prophetic. And we need to pray into those things, and we need to give ourselves to those things. When God says something's going to happen, it will happen. And we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, 
But now he, talking about Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. There was a specific timing in Jesus coming as well. Genesis 21.12 says, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The New King James puts it this way, For in Isaac your seed shall be called. And we're looking at, and what we're looking at is the birth not only of the promised son, but the birth of a nation. But it's no ordinary nation. It's the nation through whom the redemption of the world would come, the Jewish nation. It's the nation through whom the restoration of all people would come. And the promise looks ahead to the Son, the Son, to Jesus, the Messiah. Because Isaac was born, a nation was born. Because a nation was born, a Savior was born. His name was Jesus, and he was born into a Jewish family. And Mary knew this as well. A very specific mother, a very specific time. And this is what she said. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever even as he said to our our fathers. And she was thinking back to what had been promised to Abraham as she recognized that it was happening now in her time, in her. Isaac, the promised son, conceived in impossible circumstances and born at a time appointed by God. In a similar way, Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, promised Messiah, born conceived in impossible circumstances, and born at the appointed time. The circumstances surrounding the birth of the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah would come resonated with the circumstances surrounding the birth of the Messiah and the birth of the church as we know it today. Jesus is the seed, capital S, that is promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, When everything went pear-shaped and when man sinned and when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and there seemed to be no solution, God made a promise. He said that through your seed, the enemy's head would be crushed. And Jesus did that. We, We thought about that when we took communion this morning. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. And just as an aside, we need to grasp something here. We need to grasp that the work is finished. Sometimes we struggle with sin, we we struggle with habits and the old way of life. And what God says to us, if we read the Scriptures and understand it and believe it, He has said that you can be totally set free from your past, from your sin, from the things that have been done to you, from the things that you have done to others, you can be totally free from that so that your past no longer has any hold over you, so that sin no longer has any hold over you. The the lie of the enemy is that you're never going to break free from that. But the Bible says that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And maybe some of us need to hear that today. We're maybe not walking in the freedom that God has planned for us the freedom that Jesus accomplished. 
uh, for us because it says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And some of us might not be walking in that freedom today. I encourage you to understand, not just in here, but allow God to reveal that into your heart that you can be totally free from your past. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, words of a prophet written somewhere between 740 and 680 years BC. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The promised son of the Old Testament is a prototype of the promised son of the New Testament. The Old Covenant which was done away with to have this new covenant, this new promise that we have, life in Christ. And there's maybe a bit of debate as to when uh, Matthew wrote his gospel, but it might have been around 34 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And this is what he says. He's talking back to the virgin birth. And he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. We've just read those words hundreds of years old. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We can only imagine the excitement that these people felt. People who lived under the old covenant, who had the Old Testament scriptures and who were seeing these scriptures being fulfilled before their very eyes in the person of Jesus. We don't get it. We just don't get it because we're so accustomed to having the New Testament and the Old Scripture and the Old Testament scriptures. Imagine the excitement that these people must have felt. This is real. This is happening. This is happening right now. And Jesus is calling us to be part of this. Matthew, a tax collector. And Jesus is saying, Come in, come in. He's not pushing them out. He's not pushing people away. He's saying, come in, come in. I want you to be part of what I'm doing here. And I think it's just an incredible, in fact, it's a staggering thought that, that God himself stepped into our world in human form. And he stepped into our world to save us from our sins. As we thought about a couple of weeks ago, he gave us the ability to have life, a more than sufficient life, an over and above life, an abundant life. And he arrived at exactly the right time. And we need to understand that this is one of the things that is so unique about Christianity, that Jesus came, that God came in the flesh in human form. And the prophet writes Isaiah 9, 6, for, unto, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Stephen so eloquently spoke last week and told us about the shepherds and how they received the news. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the one that you've been waiting for, and he's appeared. He's come in the flesh. Not only a promised son, but the promised son, the son of God, the son who would take on the mantle of responsibility, the son who would be obedient to his father, 
And we later read in the story of Abraham and Isaac how Abram was to take his son, his only son. Read the, read the language that's used here. To take his only son and to offer him up as a sacrifice in a place that God would show him in the region of Moriah. And then we think about John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so God has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. He came he lived, he accomplished his mission. He was able to say at the end of it, mission accomplished. He was able to say, it is finished. And therefore, we have this wonderful reality, God living with his people in a different way from they'd ever seen before. You know, God was with people in the Old Testament as well. Just let me reflect on that for a second or two. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 says, God is saying to, to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1 5. God was with Joshua. And David, we read of his experience as well. And God said, I have been with you wherever you have gone. 2 Samuel 7 and 9. And so there were people in the Old Testament who experienced God with them. But this took on a new meaning as Jesus, the Messiah, came and lived with people in the flesh. He showed us what God was like. He showed us the way to God, and he made that way possible. But there's another reality in all of this. Jesus was ascended back into heaven. And what did the disciples have to do? They had to wait. They had to wait in Jerusalem. Luke records these words at the beginning of Acts. And he's talking about his gospel, the book which he had written, I think perhaps the year before. And he said, all, he talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's what the book of Luke is about. But then in Acts, he talks about how the Holy Spirit came. John chapter 7 verse 39 says, Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And yet at Pentecost, on that day, there's 120 disciples in the upper room waiting expectantly, waiting on what Jesus had promised, waiting on the baptism of the Spirit waiting on the moment where it would not be God with us, but God within us. And we live in the reality of that day. I don't know if this is making sense or not, but we went from a place where God was kind of like there, and then we didn't hear from Him for a while, to a place where Jesus is here in person in the flesh. Some people accepted Him, some people rejected Him. He was crucified. To today, 
where the Holy Spirit has been given, and He's come in, and the Holy Spirit lives within our hearts. And that's what God invites us to today. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being like a deposit that lives within us. It's our guarantee. It's the deposit that when we come before God, and by the way, each of us will stand before God. What a thought. Each of us will stand before God, and the books will be opened up, and I'll be standing on my own. I'll not have anybody else to blame. I'll not have any excuses that will be valid. It'll just be me standing before God, giving an account of my life. And I want to hear the words that day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear being said. I don't want to hear, well done, but you could have done a wee bit better. Well done, but you could have invested more into the kingdom of God, whatever that means for us. I want to stand before God, and I want God to see something in me. I want first to see that His Spirit lives within me, and He's like, okay, you're one of mine. I can see the Holy Spirit has been in you, is in you, and that you've lived your life in a way that brings glory to me, or you've tried and God knows the times when we fail. He knows the times where we've got to come and confess before him, I've, I've messed up. Do you know, none of us are sinless, but we should sin less. I sometimes think it's easy to make excuses for our sin and say, but, 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 but that's just who I am. Do you know, when we stand before God and we say, well, that's just who I am, he's not going to say, aye, that's okay, mate. It's going to say, I give you however many years to sort that out. Did you sort it out? We don't have the opportunity to make excuses before God and say, well, you know, I kind of struggled because of things that happened and you know, it was just kind of life. And God is calling us to something that's very real here, folks. God is calling us not just to be his friends, but he's calling us to be his servants. He's calling us to be part of a kingdom that is there to advance and is there to take ground and is there to take territory because we have an enemy who's against us and who wants to steal things from us and wants to take things back. But the Holy Spirit has been given in order that we can move into these things that God has promised us. The son of promise was given and the Holy Spirit has also been given and we live in that reality. I hope this morning that we get a wee glimpse of the connectedness of God's plan that's been revealed through the generations and revealed in Scripture. I hope this morning that we get a wee glimpse that the Old Testament is there to point us to Jesus the Messiah. And we need to search the Scriptures through that lens of looking for Jesus, looking to Jesus. And I hope this morning, and I really mean this, that we can have a hope, that our hope can be revived perhaps for some, and refreshed, and that we realize that our faith is based on something, certainly in Paul's days and the birth of the church, something that could be reasoned, explained, and proved from Scripture. I'm going to finish with a couple more verses from Scripture, Romans chapter 15, verse 8 to 13, and Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> And this is what it says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, such as Abraham, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. 
so that we can glorify God for his mercy. It wasn't just confined to some people in another nation, in another religion, but so that all may glorify God. And this is what it says. Therefore, I, talking about David, will praise you amongst the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Verse 10, again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people, with his people. <coughs> and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. In our own power? No. It goes on to say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that lives within us and enables us to have this hope. Last verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's why we're here today. Because Abraham was obedient. Isaac came on the scene Read Matthew chapter 1 and look at all the people who came after him and eventually led to the Messiah. Jesus who came in the flesh, God in the flesh, dwelt, lived amongst us. And when he ascended, he sent his spirit and continued his work by the spirit through the church. I pray that, to, that today and that as we approach Christmas that we think about the incredible hope that we have in the gospel. Let's bow our heads. Musicians come back up and we're going to take up our offering, but let's just pray uh, for a minute as we draw our uh, message to a close this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for those who have walked this earth before us. Father, those who have walked in obedience to you, and Father, we have their example to look to. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for his example in particular. Father, that he was obedient to you in every way. Father, that he was filled with the Spirit. Father, that he had the Spirit without measure. And that you enabled him to do the things which he did through the Spirit. And Father, we pray today that we uh, would have that same Spirit within us. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to draw close to you. Um, Father, if there's anyone in here who has never made that decision to invite you into their lives, Father, may they hear today that you are welcome, welcoming them in. Father, that you're making that invitation today to come and be part of your family, to have your Holy Spirit live within. Father, may we have hope, may our hearts be filled with hope as we approach Christmas 2018. Father, this time of year where we remember the coming of the Messiah, Lord, we pray that we would not fall short of our worship of him. Father, not fall short of our worship of you. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the small things. And Lord, we thank you for all that you want to do in the future as well. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to walk in your ways. Father, you'd help us to consider our own lives, to consider the way we live. But Father, to come before you and Father, to walk in freedom. Lord, we thank you for 
each other in this fellowship. And Lord, we just pray your blessing upon every single person in this fellowship. And just as our heads are bowed, eyes closed, I just want to make the invitation, if you've never invited God into your heart, if you've never invited the Holy Spirit into your heart, if you've never surrendered to Him, then I just want to give the opportunity for you to do that today. You may have been coming to church for years, but you've never made that decision to invite God into your heart. I'm just going to pause for a few minutes to allow people to respond to that and just do so by lifting a hand, raising a hand, and putting it back down. Father, we thank you for every single person who's here today. And Lord, we pray that as we come to offer up our worship to you in song again and through our giving of our tithes and offerings, Father, we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray for this fellowship as we move out into a new week. Father, with all that it will hold, the busyness of life, the busyness of Christmas, the busyness of family, Father, all sorts of things. Lord, we pray that in all of that, that you'd help us to find that place every day to be focused on you, to spend that time with you, and just to draw aside to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.